Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics on Wednesday, August 18th, 2021, uh, which I think is an exciting time in the financial markets as <laughs> it appears to me that we're watching the unraveling of the deep state. I know not everybody is seeing it that way or making those connections, but as I was talking with Andrew Pollard, who I'll introduce in a moment there, before we started, you know, the guys that run the banks are the same ones that run the tanks. And Dave, by the way, that was fresh improv. I wasn't up late. <laughs> but I thought you'd be impressed. I like it. Yeah. So, I mean, the way I look at it, there's a lot of unusual stuff happening. These are the same people who do the same things. And um, so I think we're getting close to some sort of resolution. Uh, I Hear a lot of interesting things coming up in the next two months, which we will dig in today, in, into today, amongst other things. Although before we get started, first, I would like to introduce Andrew Pollard of Black Box Silver, who many of you have seen on the show before. And uh, Andrew, great to have you back on here. I know things have been going well, and we'll be digging into that later and giving Dave, Dave Kranzler the chance to grill you. Hard <laughs> questions. So, Andrew of uh, BlackRock, how are you today? Fantastic. I'm uh, always shocked I'm invited back. So it's uh, it's great to be here once again. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, there's not many silver people who understand silver around, and uh, I didn't want to bring Ben Bernanke on the show. I mean, even after putting Richard Nixon on there for about four minutes yesterday, his speech from 1971. <laughs> It was interesting as a student of frequencies. We know Nikola Tesla said, if you want to understand the world, think of it in terms of vibration and frequency. And while he was talking, they have this most irritating, like buzzing, chirping, <laughs> which may be fitting for government. And we'll dig into all of that stuff if you'd like. Although Dave Kranzler of investmentresearchdynamics.com featuring the Mining Stock Journal, the Short Sellers Journal, and Jay Powell and the Horse's Ass. Dave, I like that headline. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. And uh, speaking of horses' asses, I mean, we could turn right to the CFTC and wonder if they're looking at this chart here today. Uh, Andrew, we've heard Dave throw the venom on the silver spoofers quite, quite a few times. So in the midst of well, I guess we can't say it's transitory inflation yesterday. <laughs> Listen to part of Powell's speech. He's even not even, he's not even trying to sell that. But we're getting 5% plus inflation prints. This war that supposedly was worth spending trillions of dollars on and killing however many Americans, however many people outside of America seems to be collapsing, which makes me wonder if the last 20 years was wasted. But in the midst of all of that, we see silver down 20 cents today, or actually uh, more for, more like 40 cents in the last hour or two. Andrew, any thoughts on what we're seeing here? Well, uh, if you understand just the basic premise of supply and demand, you should be looking at days like this as, as nothing but gifts. I mean, you know, the same the same one, uh, uh, the same people in charge of, of you know, creating foreign policy and, and you know, the biggest debacle, uh, certainly in my lifetime, are also the ones, uh, you know, looking to completely reorganize the system that we've all grown up on. I mean, um, and that's going to require a lot of silver. Um, you know, peak silver happened many years ago, three, four years ago, and it's been declining ever since. And then you've got the same 
people, um, you know, you got Biden uh, uh, saying that all all uh, 50% of all cars sold in 2030 need to be EV vehicles. Uh, they're passing, what, $6 trillion uh, infrastructure plan now, uh, including upgrades to 5G, which will also require tons of uh, silver. You've got them wanting to increase uh, consumption or, or use and mandate use of solar panels and pretty much everything uh, uh, across the board and solar already consumes about 20% of all silver production. That slice of the pie is going to go bigger. So, yeah, uh, uh, you know, regardless of, of whether they're spoofing on the paper markets and whether they can dump an entire year's worth of silver production on the markets in the span of 15 minutes, um, you know, that's one thing. But at the end of the day, just like we're seeing with foreign policy, like we're seeing with a lot of these COVID responses throughout the world, which are, you know, completely untethered to results, um, you're going to, uh, uh, you're, you're going to see the emperor, uh, uh, you know, those in charge of the Fed and monetary policy actually has no clothes. And, and you're, you know, look at even Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel, who runs, uh, uh, obviously from PayPal fame and, you know, one of the founders of Facebook, he just put $50 million into gold bars through his company Palantir just yesterday. Uh, you know, what, 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 what the smart people are doing versus what the Fed is saying and what people are oh, it's transitory. Yeah, life is transitory. Uh, <laughs> the question is, how are we going to live with it? So, uh, yeah, <laughs> frankly, I don't care. What, you know, I'll start caring what the price of silver is when we start actually producing it. Until then, you know, we're happy to put our head down, do the hard yards, and build up, you know, the mother of all resources in the silver state of Nevada. So, yeah, I'm fine with it. It's, uh, it'd, be, it'd be nicer if the wind was at her back right now, but frankly, it doesn't matter to me one bit. I ain't selling. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me, although uh, I guess I, in all fairness, I have been called a conspiracy theorist before. Oh, you now, are. I'm not sure if that's good <laughs> or not good, because when I was reading an article from the Department of Justice from six years ago, when they mentioned J.P. Morgan, amongst other banks, and one of the many felonies they've gotten caught with, they used the term conspiracy. So, Dave... Let's get your opinion as the grizzled veteran. I mean, you have more years on the planet than any silver analyst I've ever met, with the exception of <laughs> Thanks. possibly. But let's let's stop guessing and look at the data. Now, here is today's silver and volume chart. Um, now, I heard that uh, the, the the CFTC they 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 tried to hire Ray Charles to see if he could see what's going on here. <laughs> Turned uh, commissioners are unable. But Dave, what what takeaways as someone who is an experienced uh, Wall Street veteran and then has exited the matrix decades ago to do the right thing and actually help people rather than steal their money? What would you say, in your opinion, uh, strikes you about this chart? I, I mean, it, you know, in the gold chart looks the, the same way. Um, we've had a series of of negative economic reports that have hit. I mean, notwithstanding the the um, payroll report earlier this month, which is, I mean, that's as rigged as the CPI report. Uh, but you had a bad CPI report, and gold and silver got slammed. Well, first of all, this is a real pet peeve of mine because I want to make a distinction between the paper derivative gold and silver market and the actual physical gold and silver market. And the price action that you see on a day-to-day -day basis, especially during uh, US trading hours and, um, and specifically 
it, it usually happens after the AM, the London AM price fix. And then it intensifies when the COMEX floor hours open up. Um, that, that, that's not silver and gold trading. So when, when the, the mainstream media or, you know, uninformed or ignorant analysts, you know, say, oh, well, gold is down today or silver is down today. They're referring to the paper derivative price of silver. So, you know, it's not like when you see these big price hits, it's not like there's, there's, you know, producers out there dumping gold, gold bars on the market or refiners out there dumping gold bars on the market. There's certainly not banks reaching into their gold vaults and, and, and dumping gold bars onto the market. There, there's, there's very little physical gold that is trading or silver. And especially during U.S. trading hours, most of the physical gold and silver that, that is sold is sold by coin dealers selling bullion products to uh, primarily retail buyers. And that's, to me, when I think of gold and silver selling, when I see a chart like that, it's like, this is just going on in the paper market. Yeah. And, you know, one, one thing that for me, just to kind of step back and look at the big picture, I mean, when I started in this sector back in 2001, silver occasionally traded below four. So we're talking sub four silver. And I actually remember seeing gold at 250. Now I, I wasn't Back then, I wasn't savvy enough to buy some gold back then, but my, you know, I have gold sitting in my, well, where I safe keep it, uh, you know, that's 300 bucks an ounce, Austrian Philharmonics, and that I bought back then. So um, over, over a long period of time, gold and silver, if, if you measure it from the end of 2000 until now, gold has been the best performing asset of any any general asset class out there. And I've run the numbers several times. So if anyone doubts that, I challenge you just to run the numbers yourself. And the point here is, is that they can use derivatives or you know, the unallocated gold mechanism in London to, to keep a lid on the price or manipulate the price over short periods of time. And we've seen that several times in the last 20 years, but they can't, they can't keep it from generally rising over a longer period of time. And, you know, no doubt if they could do that, why wouldn't they, right? So, because every for every dollar the price of gold rises, it invalidates the US dollar as a fiat currency by a dollar. So just to kind of circle back to, to the question you're seeing, and I've been getting a lot of inquiries from subscribers like, hey, what's going on? You know, you know, I'm getting beaten up, the sector's getting the crap beaten out of it. And I've, I'm just like, look, you know, what, what you're seeing out there now is volatility that happens, you know, over the course of a long period of time. It happens over short on a short-term basis because they're able to do it on a short-term basis. But there's still, especially you know, the Eastern Hemisphere, which is really where your your institutional size physical gold and silver trades. They've been steady buyers for the last 20 years, and and that that buying has intensified over the last 10 years, and that's that's going to provide um, a floor to wherever this market ends up bottoming out. It may be bottoming out today. I don't know. It, it may go lower, but uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to guarantee this, but I'm putting my money, my own money where my mouth is. And I'm making a big bet that a year from now, the price of gold and silver will be a lot higher than where it is right now. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's you know with, with with the paper market the way it is. I mean, unfortunately, you know, especially in low volume times like we're in right now, and, yes. and 
apathetic times. It's almost like the, the, the tail can wag the dog, but it can only do that for a little bit of time. And when you see how, uh, uh, you, you know, governments right now are actually, but, you know, Brazil bought a fortune of gold. China, uh, China was the, uh, adding to their reserves. I mean, you know, they're saying one thing, but doing another. And I think they're just trying to get on the right side of that trade because once again, it's just going to, just like we're seeing with, you know, some foreign policy debacles now, and the sheen comes off, and all of a sudden, both sides of the media are saying, "Holy cow! Like, how is how is this? How, how you know? How, this is so foreseeable, yet no one said anything." This is the same situation we're in here. And once you see something, you can't unsee it. And I think we're right yeah. on that. Right, right. I think we're right at almost at that point. And you know, whether it happens today, next week, a month from now, or next year, it doesn't change the fact that it's still bound to happen. And uh, you know, it's about just doing the things right now and looking at these things as a gift. You know, um, people, you know, people have very short memories. You know, when we picked up our project, our Tonopah project, we picked it up in February of last year. Silver was $12 at the time, and the gold-silver ratio was 125 to 1. By the end of the summer, silver was $30, and, and you know, it had gone down to like 67 to 1. Um, you know, it's 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 been boring, and it's been range-bound for the last 12 months or so. But people forget that when this commodity goes, it goes. And you don't want to be on the outside looking in. I think that's well said because, uh, and Dave, I'm going to give you a chance to comment on this. I'm going to get a question in there for you. <clears throat> I mean, we look at how people act in America and around the globe, where it's almost like with cell phones, we're like 10 second attention span junkies. So if you think of a balance to a market, if everyone's short term focus, yes, you know, in the middle of that crowd, it might not be easy to wait for the long term. But Dave, the reason that we've spent so much time and others of digging into the manipulation and explaining why and then putting details on it is because I know you guys both get the emails, I get the emails, the questions, even today, you know, silver's manipulated, why would it ever end? Um, but I think there are some clues that can help allow people to see it so that at least like when they're facing that confusion, I find it's like, if I don't know what's going on, but I can resort back to fundamentals in some area of my life, it gives me a, a base to start with. So Dave, what I'd like to ask you here as someone who's worked on a trading desk, you've seen the tricks, you've seen the criminals, you've seen how this stuff works. When silver's at 2370 and we have stop orders, we know get placed in here, what actually happens? Because here we see, you know, between the red line and the blue line, it wiggles around and then ended up back at the same place. But a lot can happen in between. Can you talk about that a little bit? How stops are set up and why, even though the price could be 2375, almost the exact same time each day, what is it that the banks are doing and why do we see that? So that's a good question. And, um, you know, to Andrew's point about, you know, it's especially easy to for the tail to wag the dog when markets are relatively illiquid. And, you know, August is, is a ripe is a ripe period for that. You know, like the, the hit on gold that we saw two Sundays ago or three, whenever, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, that was that was done right after the COMEC or the CME's Globex computer system opened up on Sunday evening. You've got, you know, in the U.S., most of the, not most, but a, a good portion of 
the trading staff is out in the Hamptons for the last couple of weeks of the summer. It's one of the most illiquid trading periods of the day. And all of a sudden someone decides to dump, I forget what, what the dollar number was, but a massive amount of contracts into the computer system and it pushed the price down like we saw. I think it, I think it bottomed out around 1685 or so, you know, and then it bounced very quickly. So if you want to put that chart back up, I mean, what happens is, is, you know, if you say you see silver at 2375 and the banks say, okay, so this, the banks say, okay, um, why don't we, why don't we probe where the stop losses are and see if we can cover some of our, our net short position in paper silver. So it, it gets started when someone, presumably the bank goes out and they'll, and you can pull up the volume charts, the CME as you know, their, their charts are great in terms of tracking uh, individual contracts and trading in volume. And you'll see a big surge in volume right ahead of, you, yeah, see, you see it right here. You see that big surge in volume. Well, and it actually started before that. Yeah, right in there. So someone, presumably the banks is gonna go and dump a bunch of contracts all at once. And it, it knows that the hedge funds have stop losses set up, right? They, when they go, when you go long, especially these, uh, these algo oriented trading programs and the hedge, you know, the hedge funds don't do all their trading with algos, but a lot of it is electronic and they'll, they'll put on a position, you know, a, moment, a momentum position and they're looking to ride it higher, but they're also going to put in stop losses at, at, you know, various stages below their entry price. And that's what the banks are targeting. So it's not just the banks unloading, paper, silver, or paper, gold, they're getting the process started. They're getting the ball rolling downhill. And then when it triggers the stop losses, those stop losses are automatic. They kick in and, it, and there's even a, you know, a bigger surge in volume and it pushes the market down like that. I mean, Jim Sinclair used to refer to them as fishing lines. And his motto was, you know, you, you, buy, you buy fishing lines and you sell rhino horns. So when you see the parabolic bounce up like that, um, and, and just to kind of underscore that explanation, and I haven't seen people talking about, about it this time around, but per the last Commitment of Traders report, which is through a week ago last Tuesday, the banks, the swap dealer category, their net short position in paper silver was 3,700 contracts, plus or minus. And um, it had been much higher than that, you know, the previous several months. And so what they're doing is they're, they're consolidating their net short position. They're, they're covering their nominal short position. They're actually adding long positions and they're collapsing their net short position. And based on, on the movement in the daily open interest reports, I wouldn't be surprised if the banks are almost completely covered when we see the next report this Friday, or maybe even have gone net long. And I'd, I'd have to go back and, and pull up uh, an old file but I believe the last time the banks covered their large net short position and actually went long was in the fall of 2015. And what happened shortly after that? The precious metal sector bottomed at the end of December and took off like a bat out of hell. So, um, you know, again, it's, I'm not saying that we're at a bottom or a bottom's anytime soon, but it's certainly one of the historical indicators that we could be getting close to a bottom or we may be at a bottom today. I don't know. Um, but I, I do think it's, and I don't look at the COT report every week. I look at it when it gets interesting. 
and the fact that the banks are collect they're also doing the same thing in gold, but it's not as dramatic. Um, and conversely, the hedge funds, which are usually, you know, they're the upside momentum speculators, they were massively net long silver, massively net long gold contracts, and they've been unloading their long positions and piling into their short positions. So they're, they're actually substantially reducing their net long positions in gold and silver. And again, you know, historically, that's been a bullish pattern. And just to help put some context on that, here you see the blue line, <clears throat> commercials in negative territory. So you can see they're short. And it's interesting because you look here right around, that would probably be end of June. And I know people were upset that Basel III didn't fire the prices up on the first day, uh, as we can dig into. I'm continuing to see. There's a lot of things that I find on Justice Department, Fed website, bank websites. I've been going through their press releases and stuff they assume no one will ever check that talk about that September 30th, October 1st, beginning of the fourth quarter U.S. fiscal year. And again, we can see here, look at from Basel three date, that's a pretty almost 80,000 contracts down to under 40 here. If we look in gold, perhaps not quite as extreme, as extreme but still a reduction. Uh, I know the bank participation report has been showing that and certainly maybe not conclusive evidence that the banks are covering, but certainly could be the case. Uh, Dave, a few things, and then Andrew, I'm gonna turn this back over to you. But one thing you mentioned in your analysis of the goal, or you hinted at, and I'll put in more clear words, is that yes, there's the algos, there's the banks, but there's also the bigger hand that comes over top, which we've learned about the exchange stabilization fund and the fraud that they regularly commit. Um, also, there's the working group on capital markets. And I think that's what Rostin Benham was referencing here. We'll play this short one where, listen to what he actually says, even aside from the tamp down, and in many respects, um, the resiliency and the market structure of uh, the futures market really were able to tamp down um, what could have been a much worse situation in the silver market. So he even explains that he was and in many what was happening, rightly so. So he's telling you everything. I mean, the only thing he left out was, well, the exchange stabilization fund did this at this time. Although we, uh, I, get, I gave out a silver bounty on Twitter because I found the Freedom of Information Act request tab on the CFTC's website. <laughs> Maybe we will get that. Although conspiracy theory, Dave, I know you and your wild theories saying that, you know, they hammer stops. But even though Rostin Benham may have not seen this, or maybe he saw it, ignored it so he could continue the crime anyway. But let's not take my opinion for it. Let's not take Andrew's opinion for it. Let's not take Dave's opinion even for it, as great as he may be. Let's hear what former Commissioner Bart Shilton said about the same question I just asked you, Dave. Again, I appreciate you mentioning the spoofing. Curious, uh, because uh, my understanding of what, how some of the manipulation has occurred is that, you know, if silver is trading $20 and five cents, there's a lot of stop orders placed around the $20 handle. So often if the price can get pushed a little bit, then you get a lot of those high frequency algorithms kicking in and then you'll see a drop with many feeling that people kind of nudging a little are then able to buy lower. Does that right. sound like a reasonably accurate portrayal to put it in perspective to folks or would you 
phrase it differently. Well, it's a, it's a good portray it's a good portrayal, but it's actually it's a very good portrayal. Well, <laughs> in nanoseconds. So, uh, the difference in your description is that today, when a market moves because of a spoof, it can move a lot more. Now, I'm not going to sit here and play the whole Bart Chilton interview. I think people get the idea that if anyone wants to bet silver on documentation or evidence, I wouldn't ask a friend to do that. Any Keynesian idiots like Krugman come on by. But Dave, did he not describe exactly what you and I have been talking about and what you reiterated again today to the letter? To a T. And um, I just wanted to add in there, I'm actually kind of stunned that that Rostin Benham actually made that comment or that assertion in, in a public forum like that. I mean, he basically <laughs> admitted that, you know, the CFTC is in collusion with the banks to, to manage the, the price of gold and silver. Duh. Wait, Dave, Dave, <laughs> one, one comment, if I may, and then Andrew will turn it over to you. Because Dave, I, I want to be precise with our language here today. Because it wasn't just that Ross and Ben mentioned the, the CFTC controlling the price. It was the price and the volatility. So let's, this one's a minute, but I think, and, and then Andrew, you can take it away from here. We have sort of history and precedent in the future space. You know, we have a match order book. Don't have rules. We have T plus one settlement. The Dave, do you get access to the magic order book? <laughs> I'm not, is that <laughs> where the stamp down orders are? You got to pay extra taxes for that level. Clearing infrastructure as a, as a general matter historically within the future space is built in and um, very strong initial margin, daily mark to market, position limits. All of these things together, I think, really um, were very managing what was at some point in those few days in late January potentially a, a, a challenging situation and give credit to the for utilizing its authority and some of the tools it has within the margin space um, to, to control the sort of the price and the volatility uh, of the silver, um, to, to control the sort of the price and the volatility, control the sort of the price and the volatility, to, to control the sort of the price and the volatility. Dave, I think he wanted to make sure you were clear they control the volatility <laughs> as well. I mean, obviously. And the price. Know. That's why they hired Ray Charles to see that when the thing stays flat for a day or two and then drops 50 cents. Andrew, uh, not speaking for anyone else, but do you have any questions left? So when you see something like this and you're wondering, hey, I've heard about silver manipulation. I've watched the price get hammered. But does that at least put things into context? Because I, to me, it's that important to spend five years or 10 years researching it, explaining it over and over again. Because at least for me, when I can see that and see what is happening in the world, at least yeah, I'm well, able to look at it and say, well, great. I'm glad I have cash and I'm able to buy more. And I, I don't see where else this is headed. But what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the powers that be are, are, you know, freely saying what should be the quiet part out loud. Uh, and the people with the money uh, are positioning themselves in a way that's going against exactly what they're saying to everyone. So uh you know you know it's the old adage about dating you know don't listen to what i say listen you know watch what i do right so you're seeing that you're seeing the short positions being drawn down consistently you're seeing more bullish long-term setups 
Yet all the posturing in the markets right now from the talking heads are about how bearish things are. Well, then why are they putting their money on the other side of that bet? Uh, you know, with the CFTC, I mean, eh, nothing surprises me. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm just focused on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the mining business and, and ultimately we're speculating speculators that and, and um, you know, whether silver is at 20 bucks, 15 bucks or 25 bucks, uh, I think we've got a pretty strong case for our valuation to move up regardless, good market or bad market, because we're hitting high grade stuff in the best jurisdiction in the world. So, you know, if there's a shakeout in the markets like you're seeing right now where stocks are getting hammered indiscriminately, I think that's good. People are pulling, you know, we're, we're, we'll, you know, we're one of the, we're the most active silver exploration project in America right now. So when the market comes back, we'll have catalysts to put into that when people care. And we've got, you know, our maiden resource estimate plan for the end of this year. Well, if the market, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, this summer's just been a bit of a wash. It's, you know, back to more uh, typical trading patterns that we'd see, uh, not in the past couple of years, but over, you know, the summer doldrums for many, many years prior to that. Uh, I think after Labor Day, that's when interest is going to come back into stocks and into the metals. And I think the shakeout's good because people don't just, they take money off the tables of all their stocks um, indiscriminately. They just pair back positions. But when they deploy it again, they don't put it back evenly. That money's going to find a home that's got catalysts lined up. And uh, if silver gets hammered, well, guess what? All the optionality plays out there, which most of the silver plays out there right now are primarily optionality plays. The value proposition on that goes out the window and you want things that will be work in any price environment. And luckily, that's what we're targeting right now. So we're a high grade story. I think money's going to flow back to the high grade stories in good jurisdictions uh, that have catalysts imminently. And that's something that we've got in spades. I think this is a great time for us to pick up market share. And, you know, production would be a couple of years off for us, uh, even at the rate we're going. Um, so, you know, as long as silver prices start inching up towards uh, where they should be by the time we actually can start selling it, then, you know, that's all well and good. But for now, we're just putting our head down, doing the hard yards, and hopefully people will be rewarded for their patience. Well, I think so. And I guess that's the key question. And let me phrase it this way to you, Dave. You know, leave all biases aside, but People, I get, you know, we know they're wondering, are we waiting for something that might not ever happen? I don't think so. And the way I approach that is that, or you're either of you, can you construct it? I mean, I, that's why, again, I'm not trying to overdo it with silver being manipulated, but when you can document that it clearly is, not in my opinion, but in their own words, that changes the dynamic. And if you're able to establish that in a conditional probability sense, well, maybe the timeline can be debatable. Is there any other possible longer term outcome? Is it is it possible that I'm missing something? Is it possible there's or is it just what it is and what it appears like and what Bart Chilton said it was? I, I'm not quite sure I understand what the direct question is. I mean, can they keep the manipulation up forever and are we never going to see much higher that, prices? Things are, and I, I think it's, I don't see what other outcome aside from a substantially higher silver price at some point there could be. Do you, is there any other way you could see this getting resolved? 
well, there, there is another outcome, but it's, you know, pretty doom and gloom. I mean, you know, I guess to sort of put a, a diplomatic phrase on it, it would be systemic dysfunctionality or discontinuity, you know, and then, then you're talking about the Mad Max scenario or the road scenario, something like that. But short of that, I mean, central banks and, and governments have been trying to control the markets or just generally control everything going back to pre-Roman times. And, and it, it always fails. And so, you know, just going from historical experience back to, you know, the start of organized civilization, it, it suggests that this is going to fail as well. And I, I actually think that, um, you know, a lot of the, the um, market dysfunctionality that you're seeing, the, the, the bubbles, the volatility, the political dysfunctionality in this country, et cetera, I mean, I think it's it's all signs that, you know, the U.S. is failing right now as an empire. And and so, I mean, you know, again, assuming that, you know, we, we don't go down the Mad Max path or the road path, um, at some point, people are going to start grabbing for, um, you know, physical things that have value. And gold and silver are the world's oldest currencies. And those have those have value. In fact, Right now, to me, the, the beauty of, of buying gold and silver, even at this, at this level, um, is, is that it, it's not just going to be a wealth preservation asset, but it, it's also because it's so extraordinarily underpriced, you know, no matter how many ways you want to measure that, you know, there's different ways of gauging that. Um, but you also have, uh, there's, there's a wealth enhancement component to it that you're not going to get with buying in the stock, you know, investing in the stock market right now. So I guess, I guess to put numbers on it, I'd say, you know, there's a 90% probability that between now and the next five years, the price of gold and silver are substantially higher. And there's a 90% probability that between now and probably the next 12 to 24 months, the stock market is substantially lower. I certainly could see that happening. And <clears throat> one note on what you said, because it's something I've been thinking about for 12 years now. Yeah, if they print money, you know, you would think at some point gold and silver have to go higher yet. Let's say the Fed did raise interest rates before reset. Interesting. They're all of a sudden talking a lot about September tapering, which I wonder if that could be, I mean, if there is a reset, that could change the outcome i guess we'll see but um i guess even in that scenario where they did raise interest rates that's still going to collapse the thing we saw they're not going to first of all they're not going to taper because who's going to fund all the treasury the new treasury debt issuance that's coming i mean foreigners are, are pulling away they're, they're, they're reducing their allocation to treasuries and they've been one of the primary financiers of of government debt for the last 20 30 years okay so, you know, the, the Fed has been pretty much buying about 50% of all new treasury issuance since, since March 2020. So if they, if they decrease the amount of money that they're using to buy treasuries, you know, interest rates are going to shoot up. Now, I actually hope they start raising interest rates. And this is why, because, um, and, you, you know, people out there can Google this. Adam Hamilton did a very, very well um, written thorough statistical study going back, and I think he started it in 19, 
73, maybe 74. And as it turns out, the best periods of rate of return for gold and, you know, also silver by, you know, by correlation is when the Fed starts raising interest rates. And the reason is, is that the market says, oh, shit, the Fed's the Fed's behind the curve on inflation, which we already know it is. And and then and the market says that, OK, raising interest rates is a sign that inflation is going to get worse. And so, you know, how do I protect myself against worsening inflation? I buy gold and silver. And he, he lays out the whole study. And every single time the Fed starts raising interest rates, gold and silver have their best periods of return. So please, Powell, start raising the Fed funds rate. All righty. <coughs> Excuse me. We have a question here from Adam Krosnick. He says, Chris, is now the time to lever up on some prime silver miners? Well, again, a not legal financial advice. I do not have the credentials of a Ben Bernanke or Rostin Benham to uh, (laughs) I can just speak for myself on here and then let uh, Andrew and Dave do the same. If you're talking about leverage in terms of margin, I've never used that in silver. I can't even foresee the scenario in which I would. So I would not. In fact, that would actually go back to what we were looking at with the silver chart before. I would highly avoid anything that would allow you to be the guy that gets stopped out, whether it's a stock, a futures contract or anything here, because if you're levering up at the risk of, well, you have a problem if it goes down, that's exactly what the people who do this crap are targeting. Now, with that said, again, not legal financial advice, but I've been backing up the truck myself in the past week, basically converting anything in dollars, which wasn't really much, um, but making sure we got it out. Personally, I think we're in the time period. I mean, I guess we've since been in that for a while where certainly if something, I think something is going to happen sooner than later. That's my belief. And uh, Dave or, or Andrew, what do you, any thoughts on that? What would you advise someone or, or what, actually, let me change that. What, what are you thinking yourself and doing with your own decisions in terms of seeing this being close or far away or any other context you'd like to put it in? I think it's been such an apathetic summer in terms of volumes, in terms of sentiment um, that that gets me excited uh, right now. You, you know, buying when, you know, buying at a time where it, it feels really difficult, that's generally where I've made my the most money. Uh, buying when it's euphoric, that's generally where I lose it. Um, this is, in terms of sentiment, it, this feels a lot like 2015, early 2016. Um, you know, it's amazing how quickly things change, but that actually shows an opportunity. And when I look at my stock, for example, you know, we've traded, I, th- I think in June, we hit a high of maybe 115, and we're now in the low 80s. But it's been, you know, volume has just fallen off a cliff. So it's just been people selling small amounts of shares while the institutions are away on holidays. And while sentiment's been pretty low across the board, that has really hammered everyone. And, and no one's come out of this unscathed. I mean, we're in a market right now that really doesn't care about drill results. They don't care about anything. They're just waiting for a shoe to drop. And it's just low volume stuff. That's going to change after uh, once people are back. Uh, re-energize it in front of their computers and actually carrying again. I think that's going to be early September is when you'll start to see liquidity pick up. And it doesn't take much to move the stocks back up because it's only been, you know, small sellers uh, uh, just hitting bids and, and really there's just been no one coming in to get it. Now, when things do change, 
And when sentiment does come in, things happen very quickly. In um, April or mid-March of this year, you know, we traded down to 63 cents within uh, about a month and a half. We were hit a dollar 15 on no other news, so no real tangible news. Um, so that's how quickly things can happen. Um, you know, in terms of where to deploy money, I'd look at, you know, in the silver space, I mean, you know, South America still, uh, that's where the, the bulk of all production comes from globally. And it's also the region that's hardest hit most in terms of COVID protocol and restrictions right now. Uh, you know, you look, you know, there's a, a exploration company right now with 10 drill rigs idled. Uh, down in Mexico. I mean, you're looking at all the producers down there looking to get out. Look at First Majestic coming into Nevada. Look at Hostchild coming into Nevada. Fortuna going into Burkina Faso. Um, so I think you want you want something that when you do look at putting money into stocks again, look for something that's got catalysts and clear short-term um, uh, uh, things that could actually throw gasoline on the fire um, if it's a market in which people care. Um, BlackRock has that jurisdiction. Nevada did not shut down for a single day last year due to COVID uh, uh, in, in terms of mining. Not a single mine shut down. Uh, our exploration's gone uh, 14 straight months now. Um, uh, we haven't stopped. Um, and then, as I said, you want to, you, you know, to mitigate your downside, you want uh, to invest in companies that can thrive in any price environment. And that means high grade. Well, we've got that in spades. We're going to be one of the highest grade uh, silver primary projects in the world when all said and done. If uh, if our results, if we keep tying together our results the way we have been. Well, Andrew, I appreciate that. Again, Andrew is part of BlackRock Silver. Although, Andrew, you got to be careful here. Now, I did warn you before the call. Now, are you ready for the full grilling by the wily <laughs> veteran? Who now? Last time we brought Kranzler out of the bullpen, his slider, he had like that spin tack on it. I mean, that thing was breaking. His fastball was rising. We have, let's see, how many great Arcadians? 469 right now. Adam Krosnick says BlackRock is a great mining stock. So, Andrew, are you ready to field the questions from Dave Kranzler in the audience? No holds barred? My goodness. I'm, I was born ready. <laughs> all right, uh, throw him the change up the slider all at the same time uh, i know you've covered uh blackrock in your journal just to be clear for all uh folks watching blackrock is a sponsor to the arcadia show although i don't believe you guys have any financial arrangement and dave as i think i've said offline to you several times i would throw you off the show if you ever said anything other than your true genuine we, we have the ultimate financial we have the ultimate financial relationship because he's got shares in my company and ultimately he wants to turn that into uh, some serious finances. So uh, that's, that's, that, that's, you know, he's putting his mouth, he's putting his money where his mouth is, which is what you should be doing. All right. So Dave, why don't you take it away and uh, let us know what you've been finding and any questions you have. Sure. Uh, Andrew, you mentioned first majestic isn't there a company in the Walker Lane trend that First Majestic invested in earlier this year? <laughs> my goodness. Oh, I'd, I'd have to scratch my head on that one. But yes, uh, uh, we did a large financing in, um, in June, uh, which was fully subscribed for. It was a bought deal. And uh, that morning that we announced it, uh, Keith Neumeyer gave us a call uh, and said he wanted in too. And, and uh, you know, we, you know, that, that 
it, uh, yeah, I like the idea. So we, you know, originally, you know, the bankers wanted us to take eight million. Then, you know, we upgraded to ten million on demand, and that's all. You know, we we really needed. It's all we wanted. But then, you know, when a company like First Majestic comes calling, uh, you don't say no, um, especially if there's no strings attached. And it was just enough. So they, uh, between uh, First Majestic and Keith, they put in two million dollars, uh, uh, which. It's a toehold, and it's a representation to the market that not only are we in play, um, but it's a validation of sorts. Because the thing to keep in mind is we only started drilling a year ago, June, um, and we're fast tracking this thing to putting out a maiden resource in the span of well, it'll be we'll be finished our resource drilling by uh, uh, mid September. So to be able to do that is 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 um, you know we we we're rushing it because of what we've been hitting so far, because we do realize that we've got a huge target on our back. Um, so by having First Majestic take a small little toehold in us, um, it, it, it's, well, it generated a lot of in, other inbound requests from other corporates to get under the hood too. So, you know, I don't know if we'll be around this time next year because what we're putting together right now, uh, you know, it, it's so appetizing in the grand scheme of things in the silver world where two-thirds of all production comes from Latin America uh, that I think um, companies like First Majestic and, you know, there's lots of uh, Endeavor Silver just, uh, uh, they bought a, a, a weird gold asset in, in Nevada too, but they, you know, they're clearly trying to get, uh, uh, get, get up there as well. And there's, you know, there's lots of Spanish-speaking groups of geologists wandering through Nevada right now looking for silver um, deposits. And guess what? Uh, all roads lead to Tonopah and us. So. That's interesting. So um, just to kind of circle back to something you just said, does that mean that um, you've got like a data room set up and CA is signed with a bunch of, I don't, I'm not asking you to name specific companies. Yeah, I yeah. So, so, that, so we've but. got, you know, the, what we've done right now is, you know, in, te, in I guess 13 months of drilling, we've now established 10 veins we're showing huge size potential. We're showing continuity. And it's, uh, what we're doing is we're going to be putting out a resource estimate uh, by the end of this year. And that's going to be focused just on six veins. And what the corporates want to see is we've sketched out the broad strokes of what this deposit uh, looks like. We're showing serious size potential and, and grade potential. But what we're doing right now is we're de-risking the asset to the point where it becomes a no-brainer and it should be a feeding frenzy. And it's these infill holes which are going to be um, uh, you know, this is going to be consequential. This is where you just want to, we don't have to hit it out of the park. All we have to do is just show um, that, you know, the mineralization is roughly the same grades that we've been hitting so far and that it goes, we're, we're just filling in the gaps of what we drilled. If that happens, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there, we're on the rate, we're on the right radars right now because the silver space is so tiny. Um, there might be 60 silver sort of primary companies out there on the planet right now. Most of those are polymetallic where there could be four or five different commodities all put into that stew that they then put a, a silver equivalent uh, thing on. We're a hundred to one silver gold ratio. I mean, we're, we're a pure play silver primary district with a gold kicker uh, in uh, the best mining jurisdiction on the planet uh, with, and we're drilling on both sides of a highway. Um, it doesn't get any better than that. So even in terms of valuation, I mean, you know, it's the silver, it's the silver gold companies that seem to get the highest ounce in the ground. Look at Silvercrest right now. They're trading at $8 an ounce in the ground and they're averaging about 80 to one silver gold ratio, I think. Uh, and they're in Mexico, 
you know, if we deliver the resource, which we think we should, and, you know, uh, you know, they're about a $1.5 billion U.S. company right now. Um, their maiden resource that they delivered two or three years ago was 60 million silver equivalent ounces. Um, you know, if we keep putting one foot in front of the other. I think our maiden resource has a good chance of beating that. And certainly in terms wow. of size potential, um, uh, you know, we're, because we're only including six of the 10 veins that we have in our property, we'll immediately have upside baked in too. We should be getting some serious a dollar in the ounce uh, ounce in the ground valuations just because of the grade proximity and just the silver gold dynamic as opposed to the lead and zinc and copper you know all the polymetallics out there so um i forget what the question was but uh <laughs> there you go no you answered it um thanks for bringing up that polymetallic thing because it drives me nuts when i look at a silver company they what's billed as a silver company you know and they express everything in ag equivalent and then you go and you look at the resource and it has maybe 30% contained silver, you know, and yeah. I get, you know, subscribers that ask me about, you know, some of these companies, I'm like, this isn't a silver company. This is a lead zinc company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, precisely. Um, you, you brought up the term and I, I think this is an interesting thing to flush out. You brought up the term continuity. And mm -hmm. I was just wondering if you could kind of explain what that is and why it's so important to be able to show continuity. Yeah, well, you, you know, when we're drilling, I mean, we, we, we started off on a very aggressive path. Um, uh, we hit, uh, we're sec essentially, uh, with our project specifically, we've gone into an old mining camp, a historic mining camp, um, that uh, all records indicated shut down, not because they thought they ran out of gold and silver, but because precious metals prices tanked going into the Great Depression. They went from a dollar an ounce in 1923 uh, down to about 35 cents an ounce. Uh, by 1930s, and it sent everything belly up. Now, even more amazing is the fact that no one has been back into the many, many historic old mines on our property since uh, uh, this large company went belly up in 1930. Uh, one man came, a family, picked it up out of receivership in 1930, and it's literally been hiding in plain sight for 90 years. The first drill hole we put into it last year in June was the first drill hole ever into this historic mine. Because even back in those days when they were mining these things, they didn't do any drilling because they didn't need to. They were mining these thick outcropping veins at surface and just followed it around. Um, uh, so when we had, you know, we were just going in, we, we had a rough idea of where they stopped mining, where these veins were, where they were oriented, uh, and, and roughly uh, where we should aim. And our first drill hole last year ended up being the single best drill hole in all of Nevada last year, where we hit 30 meters of about a kilogram per ton silver equivalent. So what do we do after that? Once we establish where these veins left off and that, you know, quite rightly that they, they clearly didn't stop mining that thick vein because, uh, uh, you know, they ran out. They stopped because it went belly up. Well, we decided, okay, well, you know, everything's lining up the way it should. So we did some massive step outs. I mean, we, our first set of holes after that hole was like an 800 meter step out, which is unheard of. And we hit. Uh, so what you want to do in between that is a lot can change. And, you, you know, you'll have some, um, uh, you, you know, so we know one of these veins now goes, you know, about, about up to 1.5 kilometers in strike length. But what we don't know is, you know, you're not expecting to see a composite like if the grades to be even all around, there will be some high grade portions, some lower grade portions, but hopefully enough to keep the high lights on to get back to those high grade portions. So the infill portion, all it's doing is it's shedding light 
and raising the clarity and the understanding of just what is the dispersal of high-grade mineralization to low-grade mineralization. Because right now we know what the strike is, roughly what the widths are, and we're just trying to figure out what the rough grades are throughout. And what we're showing so far is we're establishing high-grade continuity uh, in the infill holes we've released so far, and that's what the majors want to see. Um, so, uh, yeah, th this is just hopefully what I want for the next three or four months leading into this resource is boring, non-exciting, but put your head down and keep the lights on and establish this, you know, just hit the same sort of grades we've been hitting all along because we do that. This becomes one of the top 10 silver primary projects on the planet and the only one in that uh, discussion uh, uh, that's effectively in, in Nevada right now. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. So, so you, have... you mentioned that, um, so the resource, the main resource report will be based on six veins out of a total of 10 veins. Yeah, six veins, all, uh, all of which remain open too. Uh, we're just going to the known portions we've already delineated. Um, the biggest vein there is called the Merton vein, and this one's going to be an absolute monster when all said and done. Uh, it's still open in both directions, but it's that one that's 1.5 kilometers in strike, uh, three meters thick, about 400 meters or, or about four football fields top to bottom in terms of mineralization. And wow. so far, in terms of what we've been averaging in terms of grades there, it's, you know, over 700 grams silver equivalent uh, thereabouts. Um, that one vein alone could host, when all said and done, uh, over 100 million ounces of silver if we keep, uh, if we keep um, uh, uh, extending it uh, as it looks like we will. The smallest vein um, that we've hit right now is about 425 meters in strike. So... We've got 10 veins ranging in size from 425 meters up to 1.5 kilometers in strike. The only ones that aren't open are the ones that we've tracked all the way to our eastern property boundary, um, and the west side remains open. Oh, and by the way, yeah, we just, you know, we've done more drilling in this in this district than any group in history. Uh, Bill Howell, who's our chairman, um, he is now the resident expert, all-time living expert in terms of meters drilled in the Tonopah Silver District. And what we've discovered is um, uh, it's an east-west trending set of veins, but we've now got um, serious cause to believe that we've got an extension to the district. And we just tripled our land holding that we announced in our uh, last news release a few weeks ago. And we think we can. Um, we think there's there might be a lot of joy. Um, up north of, of right where we've hit some really interesting mineralization. So, um, you know, there's going to be lots of upside baked into this resource, but uh, uh, right now we're just trying to put our head down and deliver something that um, uh, the major mining companies and, and the uh, mid-tiers uh, will have a confidence in, in wanting to hopefully start a feeding frenzy in terms of uh, M&A activity. Are, are you gonna, going to be hunting for, for uh, new veins also? Yeah, yeah, we haven't stopped on that front. I mean, you know, we went into it, uh, we've hit 10 veins so far. Uh, six of those we knew about. Uh, four of them have been brand new discoveries. And then this new addition, um, this, I mean, yeah, by tripling the land size down there, uh, especially along a key structural component that we've identified, uh, that really opens the door to um, new discoveries. So we've completed um, some geophysical work in this new area uh, already. And we'll be putting together some drill-ready targets for that that hopefully we'll get to next year. Right now, we're just putting our head down, trying to get this resource done um, as quickly as possible. Because 
uh, right now there's a big target on our backs. And, and the one thing I'd have regrets on is if we get uh, swooped up and taken out before we personally as BlackRock have a chance to crystallize the value in the marketplace for what we've got here. And I think that could happen very quickly. So uh, we just want to get this out and, and hopefully that's going to be the biggest re-rate potential we've had since we made our discovery hole last year is getting this resource out um, because that's going to show uh, uh, not only size potential and upside, um, but it's going to be what other companies need uh, to sort of have that, that, you know, be able to pull the trigger. So, yeah, you know, one thing like people might look at the stock price and say, well, geez, the stock was what a year ago at 30 cents or something. We um, had seven US, US dollars. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I, I was one of the early identifiers of, of Silvercrest Metals. And in fact, I put it, I put it in my short sellers journal as a as a contra dollar play because I didn't have my mining stock journal yet. And this was early 2016. And I, I put it in there, I think at like 16 cents. And that was when they were probably about, you know, maybe a little earlier than the stage where you are right now with Tonopah. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, the next thing I know, the stock, you know, it's up at four. And I actually had a huge position in our fund and I started, you know, taking some profits on some of that. And then, you know, looking back, I obviously regretted selling one share. But my point here is, is that, so I'm just using US dollars, the BKRRF symbol. You're at, you're at 63 cents. You were, I think, around a buck at one point earlier this year. This is, this is a good time to, to, you know, and again, I wouldn't go on margin. You don't need to go on margin with a, with a stock like BlackRock because the high grading of the resource gives you your margin effect, right? Because mm -hmm. the price goes higher, each each ounce of silver because of the grading becomes more valuable than the equivalent ounce of silver for a company that's you know a silver company that's doing a you know producing a polymetallic resource that's got thirty or forty percent contained silver. So that's that's your these junior mining stocks like BlackRock, that's your margin, and and so you know that's if you if you want to like make a leveraged bet in the mining stocks. I would, you know, to answer, um, I think it was Andrew's question, I think, um, you know, I would start by wading in slowly here with a stock like BlackRock, you know, buy some now, don't go all in because we don't know what the overall market's going to do. The overall market could take BlackRock lower, but at some point when the market turns, and as Andrew pointed out earlier, when this market turns, it turns quickly and cash floods in quickly. And the ones who, you know, bit their tongue and, and, and bought stock at, at a stage like where we are now and then sat on their hands for six months, they're the ones who make the most amount of money in, in this sector. In this, especially with this type of situation, just because of the high grade nature of the resource. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. And we're, we're, we're actually doing the exact same playbook that Silvercrest did and they're very comparable stories. You know what Silvercrest did a few years, maybe six years ago, is they went into a historic silver district in Mexico they started drilling it. They turned the project into Swiss cheese and they put out a maiden resource estimate very, very quickly, just like we're doing. Uh, and as I said, I think that was roughly around 60 million ounces of silver. Was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, inferred. Uh, and then if, and then they kept drilling it out and they had some upside built into that because they only included a certain portion too. So they had some veins. And then they upgraded that resource again and it was around 90 million ounces silver equivalent. And then they've upgraded it again. Now, total between inferred and MI, it's about 130 million ounces that's it uh silver equivalent 
Uh, and they're 1.5 billion, and that it was just a straight once they crystallized their value with that maiden resource, they kept going and they kept going and they kept going, and it backstopped their downside, which is that that's what it'll do by delivering this resource. Right now, we're on the most speculative end you can be on of the Lasan curve, um, which means in bad markets, people will say, well, they don't even have any ounces in the ground, or they they don't even have a resource out. Well, that alone, by getting this out by the end of the year. That's going to backstop our valuation, but it should also allow all the investment banks and the analysts to start putting price targets on us, and it'll reduce the risk there. And then, you know, we'll look at the next one, and we'll be able to, you know, we'll be, uh, you, you know, it, it's, it, yeah, it, by then it'll be a monster by the tail. And frankly, you know, seeing how quickly Silvercrest grew beyond that, I don't think the other silver companies will want to let that happen uh, with us just because, you know, everyone wants out of Mexico and Latin America right now just because of all the, you know, taxation, uh, criminality, uh, uh, lockdowns, etc. Um, you know, Nevada's looking pretty good. So I, I think, you know, the companies looking at us right now, they see the same sort of size potential that Silvercrest has ultimately, um, but they still see us around that $100 million, $150 million Canadian valuation. And you know they want to get they want to buy the monster when it's a baby. So I think we'll be commanding a significant M and I premium uh, as soon as we get this out too, regardless of whether uh, that materializes or not. I mean, in the silver space right now, uh, we've got to be the most uh, attractive takeout target uh, when all said and done, just because of the proximity, the grade, and 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 the and the just just the infrastructure. I mean, we're literally. I went down there a few days a few weeks ago. And I walk from the drill rig to Burger King and back to the drill rig in about 10 minutes. So <laughs> it's, it's too good to be true. Well, I appreciate that, Andrew. Dave, did you have any last final questions before we wrapped up? No, I was just going to say, you know, I agree with what Andrew said in terms of, you know, stock, you know, companies like Discovery Metals and Silvercrest Metals, their, their market cap alone is gonna, going to be a barrier to uh, an M&A uh, exit strategy as opposed mm -hmm. to, and I mean, it's, I mean, come on, I, I've looked at enough of these companies and enough drill results and how projects develop. I mean, you know, you've got something large under the ground, you know, mm -hmm. you have something large and these other companies, you know, circling around looking at your data, they know too. And, you know, at some point, you know, you'll get it to a point where it's, you know, halfway de-risked, and I think someone's going to pounce on it. Right. Yeah, that's it. So we're just trying to add as much value right now uh, as we can. Um, and, you know, ultimately it's up to shareholders what happens at the end of the day. It's not up to me. Um, but we're just trying to add as much value as quickly as we can because we've, you know, this this is the reason why Nevada's called, our, our deposits are the reason why Nevada's still referred to as the silver state. And we know uh, for a fact that these mines did not shut down because they ran out of, of joy. They shut down for the business side of things a hundred years ago. Well, uh, there's a lot more life left to live in this district and um, yeah, it's a good place to be. So yeah, it's a, a pleasure being here with you today, Chris and Dave. Always good to see you. Likewise, Andrew. Great to have you here. And I got your contact page pulled up, but if you can just let folks know where to find you, where to go with their questions, how they can get information. Yeah. You know, uh, email me directly, Andrew at blackrocksilver.com. I'm always happy to answer, uh, uh, answer questions and, uh, we've got, uh, we're expecting a big data dump of drill results in the next week, uh, week to two weeks at the max. So, uh, you know, lots of catalysts in the short term here. And, 
And uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, September's when people come back and we start to see that interest start building across the board. So, yeah, well, with some of the geopolitical things going on right now, I'm not sure they'll even wait till September. Yeah. We will see. And by the way, Andrew, is Labor Day weekend uh, one of those three day weekends? It I'm is. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. probably completely irrelevant. Uh, although handsome Dave Kranzler, where do people find you? And what's this mining stock journal? If someone is into mining stocks, maybe they wanted more in-depth coverage. Uh, tell us what we can get there. I mean, it's I publish it every every other Thursday. The next issue is going to be out this Thursday. Um, I actually haven't. Well, I actually will be mentioning BlackRock in there. In in some respect, there hasn't been news flow for the past couple of weeks, but. Um, you know, as Andrew knows, BlackRock is is one of my top two or three recommendations. It's one of the top two or three holdings in my in my fund. And um, so I, you know, what I try to do every every issue is give give my analysis on what the market's doing and why. And then I, the companies that I cover and recommend, I I update them as they have news flow, and. Um, then if I find a, a good idea, I, I try to present a new idea, you know, and BlackRock was, was one of my new ideas. God, I can't even remember now, maybe October, 2020 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was less than a year ago. Um, and so, uh, and then the other thing I do is, is especially with a market, the way it's been the last couple months, uh, some of the, and I, I don't normally focus on, producing mining stocks. I find them kind of boring and there's enough eyeballs on them and there's not the market inefficiencies that you get with the, with the junior mining stocks. But, um, you know, I, I throw in some, some ideas for taking advantage of, of the oversold nature of, of some of these large cap mining stocks. Um, uh, Fortuna Silver is a good example. And, and so I'll, I'll make kind of, you know, buy and sell recommendation, you know, trading recommendations on those and and throw in some ideas on on using um, in the money call options, um, you know. So, like, if you got a you know twenty dollar mining stock, you don't have to. You can buy a lot more shares with two thousand dollars when you buy in the money calls than you can, you know, buying the stock outright. So it's that type of thing. Well, Dave. pure brilliance and perfection. Although I've got a new website here. You know, I'm not going to let you get away with this picture. (laughs) That's my web guys. An image where there's silver in the back. of. Yeah, there you go. In my old old website, I had that. I had that and I'll get that fixed. I'm going to wrap <laughs> up so you can go call your webmaster now. I didn't want to, I guess I did kind of call you out publicly and embarrass you in front of your friends a little bit. <laughs> let's get that. Let's back up that truck. You could take it to Andrew's uh, patch over in Nevada. I hear there's a lot of silver there. And uh, in either case, I appreciate both of you being here today. Something that I maybe didn't get earlier in life. Certainly I've had an appreciation of now for the show and seeing the way people respond and how people are feeling out there. Sure, it's easy when the price is up and we're all celebrating to say, oh yeah, I told you so then. But one of the things I like to think I do personally, hey, if the price is down, I'm gonna give, here's what I'm seeing, not run and hide, you guys the same thing. So I appreciate you being here. Uh, To me, that's, gee, executive of a company. I don't know what could be more important than how that person handles things. So 
Andrew, I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we'll let you go get back to finding the silver because at the rate that the global central banks are hyperinflating <laughs> currencies, I think we're going to need a lot of it. And handsome Dave Kranzler, great to see you <laughs> as always. You said you didn't want to be golden Dave. You said you didn't want to be silver Dave. So you're just handsome Dave. It's just. Oh, golden Dave is fine because that's where I live now. I don't live in no, Denver no, anymore. <laughs> You go over to Andrew's, uh, you go over to Nevada, we'll call you Silver Dave. Until then, you're just darn handsome. And with that said, thank you everyone at home for watching. Do hope this brought a little joy into your day. <laughs> there's good news on the way, just keep the patience. And I guess my final thought is I continue to have the thought go through my head that by the time this is all said and done, the people who are wishing for a higher price now will be wishing they had more time to buy. At yeah. today's price, not legal financial advice, but that is genuinely how I am approaching it now. And with that said, I will see you again soon. Sweet. And we are.